Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. The Rum and Coke, Cuba Libre, Mentirita. There are many names to describe one of the world's most famous highballs, which probably confirms that this drink means different things to different people. For some, it could simply be an alcohol delivery system, a low-lift catalyst for good times. Others may revel in its cultural and historical significance and debate which of those latter two names flies closer to the truth. And those of a mixological persuasion may see this as fine fodder for some modern-day molecular upgrades. For Kelvin Oufre, the combination of rum, lime and coke holds immense power, the ability to transport him back to his youth. And for him... The Cuba Libre is doing just fine as it is, requiring no fancy syrups and no esoteric funky rums. Instead, and in his words, all you have to do is make it with love. Now, I'm very aware of how corny that sounds when I say it, but when you get to know Kelvin, which you will do very soon, and you understand his perspective, well, let's just say it lands a little different. Also known as the Sucio Somme, Kelvin is an award-winning bartender who's worked at some of the top bars in New York, including, probably most notably, Maison Premier. Now, he's the New York rep for Tequila Fortaleza. This one's a firecracker, listener. It's the Cuba Libre, and you're listening to the Cocktail College Podcast. Vamos! Mejor tarde que nunca. They've been asking for it. He's here, better late than never. Kelvin Ufri in the house. Kelvin, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Que lo que, que lo que. Estamos en Romo Feo, en Cuba Libre Feo, en Coca-Cola Fea, loco. What's good? <laughs> Shout out BX. Shout out Kingsbridge. Shout out Vine Pear. Thank you for having me, my brother. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Que hace, papá? Que hace? Ya tu sabe, papi, aquí, tranquilo. You know, I'm... Uh, just got off a Charleston food fest, as you know. Yeah. You were there. And we the, were there. Didn't the cross mayhem. paths. Like nah. ships in the night. It's probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be no Charleston left. <laughs> There'd be, be no me left. I, I, for sure. I'd be canceled. I don't know. It'd be bad. It'd be bad. We'd be, you know, drinking too much, having too much fun. Yeah. They gotta keep it separate. They gotta keep us separated. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? For the non-Spanish speakers here, I'm just going to interject. Uh, they already know. They've heard the intro. They've seen the show description, the name. But it's the Cuba Libre we're here to chat about today. Maybe we'll dive back into Charleston in a little while at the end there. Hell but yeah. The Cuba Libre. Tell us why today. Bruh. Yo, I mean, look, uh, you know, I was, I'm from Dominican Republic. I was born in DR. You know how rum relates to the Caribbean, you know, it permeates all parts of our culture from the parties to the baby showers to funerals to voodoo. And um, it's one of the drinks, the first drink I ever tried when I was seven years old. Nice. Yeah, baby. <laughs> they can't take me away from my mom now. I'm too old. You know, they can't call child services on us. My mom is too old. I'm too old. But um, yeah, it's one of the one of her favorite drinks. So, you know, I, she would always let me taste it and I think that sort of informed my obsession that we're going to talk about a little later because I'm obsessed with this drink. Like, I mean, I like that yeah. where... Because there's most folks out there, when you talk about what was the first alcoholic drink you tried, and maybe there's a difference between the first one you tried and the first one you got drunk off, but oftentimes 
they look at you with a wince when they want to answer because they're like, oh, my <laughs> God, do I have to admit it, what it yeah. was? And generally, it's really, really bad. Yeah. So to have one, to have that experience early on and it's still to hold a place in your heart, that's pretty special. Yeah, yeah. What was your first drink like that you like? I lit off of that you like, drank? Um, we used to have these. It took me a while to get into beer. And I had friends who liked beer. As but, a Brit, really? Yeah, but I couldn't, I just didn't like the, the, the flavor in the beginning. Wow. So when we'd drink beer, maybe we had some cans together, I'd take a loaf of bread with me. <laughs> For every sip of beer, <laughs> I'd have a bite of sliced bread just to wash it down and take away the flavor. I mean, the carbs that were going on in that yeah, whole process. Yeah, carb load. Oh my God, the heartburn as well with just all that bread and beer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like a beer now, though. But that was maybe the first one I tried. But the first one we used to drink kind of regularly is these things called WKDs. They were equivalent of, like, Mike's Hard Lemonade. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it came in flavors like Electric Blue, <laughs> Iron Brew, if you know that one. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, WKDs, we used to, uh, one pound a pop, they were on Thursdays on Scream. I used to go out with 10 pounds and come home with change and a bad hangover. So, you know, it was... <laughs> Those were the yeah. days, but thankfully, I like to think we've kind of graduated a little bit from that for now yeah. to the point where we're talking about cocktails on podcasts, where we're, we're maybe thinking about them in a, in, a, in a higher level here. Yeah. Cuba Libre, though, it's one of those for me that it's a drink I was well aware of before I knew that it actually had a name. Like Bacardi and Coke was the one that it was synonymous with for me. Was that the case maybe growing up or slightly different in DR because you got Brugal there, you got other amazing rum brands, so... Yeah, no, I mean, in DR, it's, it's always been Cuba Libre. And mm -hmm. there's a spinoff that's the national Dominican drink. It's called Santa Libre. Okay. And that's just with Sprite. Ooh. Island mixology, baby. The you know clear take on the... <laughs> yeah, you know, you sub Coca-Cola mm -hmm. and it's a Santa Libre. But Cuba Libre is what everybody pretty much drinks in DR, you know. It's just mm -hmm. like, it's a ubiquitous drink. Um, more so than the daiquiri or any other drinks. It's just like, because it's accessible to everybody. Yeah. You know, these drinks like, you know, the daiquiri, Cuba Libre, you can make them at home with Coke and rum and a little bit of lime. You can buy a big jug of rum, big three liter Coke. Yeah. And you feed the whole block. Yeah. Everybody has a good time. You know nice. what I'm saying? And like, um, it's less about measuring and more about taste. So it's very, it's hard to fuck up. So um, on the island, that's just that's just the way we drink. On the block, that's how we drink. In the BX, we, <laughs> on the stoop, you get a couple jugs, you mix it up, with some ice. The interesting thing about that, when I'm hearing you talk about that and that idea where it's like there's no measurements, you can't really fuck it up because it's your own, it's your own kind of palate. Yeah. Maybe, you know, most of the people that are drinking that, maybe they're never going to get into cocktails or maybe to a varying degree, maybe they never want to work in the industry. But maybe what you don't also realize is you're, you're teaching yourself what balance looks like to you, how much booze you're going to have in mm. there, how much lime give it that acidity, mm -hmm. how much coke you're having in there for the sweetness. Like you're, you're finding balance and maybe you don't realize it. You're just trying to have something that's tasty. Yeah. I think everybody's always trying to find balance. You know, you know when something's oversalted. I mean, you're a chef. You know what that's like when your throat starts to burn a little bit. You're like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you may not feel it on your palate with all the other elements, but you can tell when something's a little too boozy and not in a good way. Yeah. But even still, man, Boozy Cuba Libre, I'll have that. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, ain't, no, ain't nothing wrong with that. Come on now. It's one of those as well that's kind of like, all right, it's, it's not as elevated as a Negroni, but it's one of those ones as well where it's pretty much like it's a guarantee if the ingredients are there, it's, you know, it's, it's dependable. I beg to differ. 
beg to differ about its elevation. <laughs> uh, respectfully. Respectfully. You know, because it's interesting. How, what, when you say it's not as elevated as an Agroni. What I mean by that is that certain people do not approach it with the intention that they do the Negroni, or they don't try and say like, look, here's the template. Actually, I'm tweaking the template. Or people maybe, I'm thinking in the cocktail space, fewer people have their their ratio dialed in exactly how they want it, where they probably will do for something like the Negroni. Yeah. Ideologically, I'm not saying this this belongs anywhere above or below. There, everything's equal. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, I get that. You know, you know, I get that. Why do you think that is? Like, why is like a Negroni, let's say, held in this regard of like a um, posh drink? Let's say posh, for lack of a better term, like it's a sophisticated drink that you have with a clear cube, right? Mm-hmm. Um, versus a Cuba Libre being what. I hate saying this fucking word, a uh, peasant-style drink. Mm-hmm. We have this idea of, like, what's respectable drink and what's a peasant-style drink. Like, do you understand what the horror of that language? It's yeah. like Caipirinha is a peasant-style drink, and the Negroni is, like, a sophisticated, respectable drink. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a class hierarchy that gets traversed when we're going from one end of the spectrum to the other. You know what I mean? I grew up in the BX, poor in the projects. I also have been to Champagne and drank the finest Ruinart vintage. Mm, I don't doubt that. So I, what I find fascinating is what we choose to call a, a, a respectable cocktail and give it its due, its history. You know, Dave Wondrick will dive in and do the fucking whole thing versus the drinks that are like, quote unquote, peasant. And a lot of times the drinks that are peasant are black or brown drinks, drinks from, you know, black or brown origins. Yeah. Um, even though the Cuba Libre isn't necessarily just that. Mm-hmm. There's a little military aspect with the Spanish-American War, but we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, we will. I don't know. I think just to yeah, just to jump on your point there. I think that's a, I think that's a great point. I think that definitely factors into it. There's there's a race aspect there, um, and I think it's also when you're talk. You know, we were speaking about the Negroni specifically. As someone who has moved to the U.S. from Europe, yeah, it's something. It's this notion that I come across a lot that. There seems to be this expectation here that Europeans are just more sophisticated when it comes to their cuisine or, you know, what they eat or what they drink. There's this idea that people in France from five years old, they can blind taste a burgundy, you know. <laughs> and some it's just probably like, could, I don't know. <laughs> some of them maybe can. Shout out to them. But a lot of them probably yeah. can't. Yeah, man. I think the final thing when it comes to the Negroni is that its flavor profile is a lot more challenging than a Cuba Libre. Yeah. And therefore, when we're challenged by things or maybe don't initially like them, it's kind of like that beer thing I was talking about earlier. It's like, I can't get my head around this. I'm, you know. Yeah. When we're challenged to like something and then we end up liking it, it feels like, oh, even, you know, you've reached this next level of sophistication. Whereas really what we should be celebrating about something like a Cuba Libre is like, it's accessible for everyone. Yeah. But we can, we can absolutely maybe dial in certain points a little bit more than, than most folks are. And we're going to get into that today. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Hell yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's also, what's interesting is like the bitter component, like bitter in American cuisine and drink culture isn't necessarily a thing. Yeah, you know, exactly. Famously, Lillet Blanc used to be Kino Lillet. It used to be very bitter. And when it started making its way into the American market, they just straight dialed it back and made it, you know, sweet wine. Yeah. We have an obsession with sweetness in America. We love that shit. Sweetness without complexity or dimension. 
So I think that's another aspect to the Negroni being like, like to your point, a challenging drink. It's like bitter. I mm-hmm. fucking hate Negronis. I think that cocktail Same here. sucks, bro. Same here. Right, no. bro. Talk your shit. Talk your shit, bro. Give me a high five, bro. Talk your shit. Tell me. Tell me. No, because people so, are afraid to tell the truth. So I mean, and and for the folks who have listened to the Negroni episode with Jeffrey Morgenthaler, you know, I apologize right now for for repeating this, or feel free to skip forward a couple of seconds. <laughs> this rant might go on. Give me some shots. Not, it's not that I dislike the Negroni. I just think that it gets a lot more praise and recognition than it deserves. Yeah. Um, that whole idea of dialing in specs, I think I, I mentioned it in that episode where it's like the difference between the worst Negroni I've, I've ever had and the best is minimal. Mm. Because it's a dependable drink, but I don't find it to be overly complex. I don't find it to be like, oh... If I have this gin versus this gin in a Negroni, it's going to completely change the cocktail. It's You're drinking Campari. And to this point as well, actually, we spoke yeah. about Charleston. Sorry, now you've set me up. <laughs> Talk your shit, bro. <laughs> you were waiting for this. They've been waiting. We were talking about Charleston, though. We were at a party there. We were at a little VIP event. We had a special bar set up. And maybe I went to the bar a little too early. The bartender wasn't set up with stuff. And... They were saying, I was like, uh, what cocktails can you make? And she was like, well, you know, I, I have this, 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 and this. There was no sweet vermouth. There was gin and there was Campari. And this bartender was really like, look, I'm sorry, I don't have bitters. That's how I want to make this drink. I'm like, it's fine. Just put it together with whatever. And it was Campari, gin, and some dry vermouth. All just free poured, terrible ice, stirred it together. I'm like... Yeah, this tastes like a Negroni. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I was like, yeah. it was good. I mean, there was double the amount of gin. So what I'm saying is like, this drink is not, it's not as complex as people like to think or it's not as hard to master. So yeah. I don't know. I think Campari did a lot of marketing. You know, let's, yeah. you know, honestly, we like to think that drinks just catch fire because they catch fire. But it's like the music industry. No artist is, when you see an artist that looks big, there's marketing dollars behind it. It's not that they're just big, there's dollars. Campari invested a lot of moolah, mm-hmm. rightfully so, to move Campari. Because a while back, nobody gave a fuck about Campari. Ironically enough, though, I love an Americano. Yeah. I drink that I'm with sh- you. I yep, get the yep. fuck out of an Americano, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'll assault an Americano. The drink. You know what I'm saying? Of course. I will beat it up. Love it. But you had gin to that shit? Blech. <laughs> so that's you know that's that's the take on the americano there the, the negroni but again yeah. i think something that kind of where these two drinks have in common with the cuba libre in a way is like like there's no substitute for campari there's no substitute for tomato ketchup it's the got to be the real thing mm. and speaking of it's got to be the real thing coca-cola i thank mean you. we might get into something different here today but nope there's thank nothing you, like it thank you tim thank you there's a whole list of um, microaggressions against the Cuba Libre. I got to go down before we get into this, this recipe, mm-hmm. this drink, this iconic, elevated, sophisticated drink called the Cuba Libre, also known as the Mentirita. We'll get into that mm-hmm. uh, that other name as well. Before you do, sorry, do you yeah. want to jump into the history because it's pretty brief or maybe it's not? Yeah, yeah. Or you want to go with that? or Let's do it, baby. Let's do it. Look, I'm not Dave Wandrick. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you the exact drunk history of a rum and coke with lime. But it has something to do with the Spanish-American War and the United States working with Cubans to eject Spain. And, you know, 
soldiers and people on the island were already drinking a blend of molasses, lime, and rum. It's just kind of a little cure-all. When Coca-Cola hit Cuba, early 1900, 1911 or some shit. Don't quote me. I'm not Dave Wondrick. I don't want people coming (laughs) at me like, hey, man, that was actually 1913. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. I'm here to talk about the drink, okay? Not the library, bruh. Um, (laughs) But anyways, around that time, soldiers were mixing a little Coca-Cola, lime, and rum, and they would toast, you know, para un Cuba libre, you know, to a free Cuba. We all know Cuba's not free, which is why some people call the Cuba libre the mentirita, or the little lie. Um, So the the United States supported these rebels in trying to free Cuba. You know, we always support these coups, not to get into politics too much. You know, we go down a rabbit hole with me. Yeah. But, you know, so there's, so that's kind of the, the general history of it. You know, it just became this drink that because Coca-Cola came into fashion and because soldiers were drinking it, other people started fucking drinking it. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. And, and I, I think that idea is so so interesting as well, the mentirita. It's like, yeah, because the irony that an American soldier potentially goes into a bar and toasts for a free Cuba por un cubo libre. Uh-huh. And then we look at subsequent events, history and time, you know, it's, um, yeah. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty and all that, so. For sure, for sure. And it's not, you know, we cannot forget about these things when we're looking back at history or, or, or even analyzing the now. Mm. But at this time as well, we're really kind of focusing on the drink too. So, we, you know, we can, maybe that's a separate podcast we can start with if we want to go into that. Yeah, yeah. I just love how how drinks are woven into history, the history of the world. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating, you know, like drunk history, inebriated drunk history, alcohol history, cocktail history is ingrained in so many parts of um, our history, the history of America, the history of the world. I think that's fascinating. But to your point, we can do a whole different shit about that. No, yeah. And I I always love the conversations as well, especially for this, which are the ones that... that maybe where the drink is symbolic of what's happening in a place at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this really speaks to that. There was a time where Cuba's fighting for independence against Spain. Right. And America comes in there, right? So right. It's, it's a different history. And you talk about just symbolism. We're talking Cuban rum. And, and in this case... Coca-Cola, an American product that's invented, what, like the, the mid-1800s, late-1800s, is invented by some wacky chemist down in uh, Georgia? Yeah, I'm sure it was a black person and then somebody stole it from him. I'm positive. Most likely. I'm making it up. <laughs> I'm like, the Cuba Libre was a Taino indigenous drink <laughs> before these motherfuckers. Nah, I'm just uh, That's the thing about drunk history. We never know. Yeah. It's the beauty of it. But, um... It is. It's Atlanta, Georgia. Sorry. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking about that there. So the coming together of these ingredients, you mentioned microaggressions earlier. Have we covered all your microaggressions? No, no, no. We didn't get into it because we got into, you know. We got into the history. Conspiracies and 5G and shit, you know what I'm saying? Um, Is that why you currently have tinfoil on your head? (laughs) I was wondering, but I I didn't want to ask. It might be be messing with the mics here. This is a comme des garçons, actual. It's a new thing. Um, No, so if, number one, if you're using anything but Coca-Cola, if you're using like the new hip cola that some hipster with a beard in Brooklyn created with a real cola nuts, you a bozo. Microaggression. And this is a class D microaggression, okay? Even mm-hmm. in a small scale. If you're making your own cola, you a bozo. 
Sorry, Morgan Dollar. I fuck with you. I think you're important to cocktail culture. I think you're making your own cola. You a straight bozo. Okay? And I say that with love and respect. Bozo. If you're adding high ester rums, Jamaican rum, Hamden, save it for the Ray and Ting, man. Save it for the Ray and Ting. Don't be dropping that joint in a Cuba Libre. It takes over everything. You a bozo. If you're using Jamaican rum, high ester shit, you a bozo. If you're using agricole rum in a Cuba Libre, guess what? You a bozo. Save that for the tea punch, which, by the way, I think is National Tea Punch Day this weekend. Oh, damn. As this comes out. But again, that's, yeah. where, that's where you're going with the agriculture. A.K.A. every day in Martinique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these national days are stupid, but it came so, up and I wanted to promote our episode on that, yeah, so check that one out. I Actually, Christian Favier, I want to say, just, just as a little side note here, he's down in Charleston. We, we interviewed him for that, for that episode, uh, and, and we stopped by, and, and me and a couple of our colleagues here, we had a round of tea punch on him. It was amazing. So yeah. Christian and... Shout out to you. Amazing. Thank you. At The Ordinary. Oh, yeah. Ordinary is an amazing bar. And Christian is an amazing, amazing wealth of knowledge, amazing palate. Um, we did a rum panel, not this year, the year before. He was part of that. Shannon Mustafer. Nice. The dream team. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of amazing folks. And um, he's just a legend, bro. He's a legend. I love him to death. Shout out Christian. Shout out Ordinary. That fucking bar is legendary. Mm-hmm. Legendary. So, yeah. If you're using, you know, Martinetian rum... You a straight bozo. Stop it. Microaggressions. Micro. It's like borderline racist, but like on the on the like scale of one to ten, it's like a point five. Stop. If you're not using age room, you're not exactly a bozo. Cause I get it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but you're missing an opportunity. Gotta use age room. Okay. If you're using lemons instead of limes, yeah. Para no. basura. Tu no sirve. You ain't worth nothing. Limes is what it is. So we're gonna, there's probably going to be more as I keep talking about this shit and getting hype. But those are the main bozo microaggressions to the drink. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And if we can, if we can take a little, um, you know, a cocktail geek sidestep here for a second. This reminds me of the, the conversation we've had before where it's like someone who's making their own aromatic bitters instead of using Angostura. The time it takes, the effort... The cost from a staffing perspective. Yeah. But above all, I mean, those are all considerations that are, are, are red lights, right? <laughs> yeah, Straight yeah. up. Red flag. But the quality of the product at the end. And I know that there's a lot of shit that goes into Coke. I don't want to know what it is. I just know that I love the flavor of it and I'm, I'm guilty of that and I love it. I, I shouldn't have to apologize for it. but Hell you know, no. That we don't like to admit we like sweet things. Which is part of that conversation we were having earlier. Yeah, or mass-produced things, you know. Yeah. With the era of, like, um, you know, uh, farm-to-table and organic. um, Grain-to-glass. Yeah, people want craft, the age of craft. Look at all this shit. And half the craft brands on shelves ain't even really craft brands. Mm -hmm. They're fucking funded by Diageo, Campari, Pernod, and they sell you this story that is craft. Meanwhile, they have a fucking 48 million liters still, small batch. I, we all know what it is. Um, but we hate to admit that we like mass-produced stuff. Mm-hmm. Bro, I like Versace. Yeah. I got Louis V at the crib. Like, I, you know, like, it's fake. It's from Chinatown. But um, <laughs> speaking about mass-produced and black-owned, I get my shit from the Africans in Chinatown. But I like, there's something to be said about the consistency of mass production when it's done right. You know, not everything is always ethical. But to your point, um, Angostura is not only 
amazing and has a, a history of making this, you know, Seagirt. But the consistency and the flavor, you think you're going to match that in your little basement mm-hmm. with your little ball jars and shit and your little Calusians? Bro, suck it. You're a bozo. You're a bozo. And so I'm assuming, therefore, well, we know this, but you have a similar uh, thought process when it comes to making your own Coke for this drink. It's just, it's just not a direction you personally want to take. Nobody should take. You know what happens with this stuff is hubris. Bartenders think that if they can make something better than Coke, then they're a good bartender. They think it says something about them. Same with bitters. If I can make my own angle, you get to say something about yourself. I want to tell all you beautiful young bartenders from all intersections, walks of life, levels of knowledge, experience, and work ethic too. This is for you lazy motherfuckers too. You're enough. You're enough. You're beautiful. Your drinks are wonderful. You don't need to overdo it. Yeah. You're enough. What's that classic Anna Wintour advice, I believe? It's like, I think it's attributed to her, the quote where it's like, you look in the mirror before you leave the house, always take off one item of clothing and then walk out. Yeah. Maybe maybe the same is true when coming up with a cocktail recipe or an ingredient. Yeah, I should have taken off my foil hat, but yeah, sure. it's fine, G-shit. <laughs> Did you notice me staring at it right there as I was, I was yeah. quoting that? Yeah. Uh, I'm glad this is in film. Yeah, well, that's coming soon, folks. Don't know when, but it's going to come. We're going we're gonna to hit YouTube with this eventually. Ah, you know, take it to the next level, but Yo. TBD. Yeah. It's in the works. Nah, you know, I think so. I think Sasha Petrosky was a big proponent of that. My man, Dan Greenbaum, who owned Diamond Reef, RIP Diamond Reef. But Dan is a legend. He's... One of the people that I think outside of me has the best piña colada recipe. Uh-oh. For real. And I'll put that spec, his spec against any of y'all's. Bring it, you will die. His shit is the shit. Um, he talks about that because Sasha taught him at John Dory Bar, like, this drink, do you have five ingredients? Make it with three. Try it. Like, yeah. Try to make it with three. And um, yeah, I think that simplicity is what makes these drinks accessible, what makes them... What gives them longevity, Mm -hmm. you know, what makes them ubiquitous. This reminds me as well of a conversation we're having recently with uh, with Eric Castro about his drink, the Pina Verde. You talk about yourself, you know, Pina Colada lover, the Pina Verde, great drink, similar similar category there. The simplicity of that, he was speaking about, that's kind of what also makes it stunning. Yeah. Because it's so simple, you can't believe how good it is. Yeah. Shout out to Eric Castro, man. He's amazing, man. What a legend. Um... Such an such an amazing palette. Um, I I heard that episode, and I just love it. He's like, bro, you can't fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, even if you get the specs a little bit, you can't fuck it up. Mm-hmm. It's a modern classic, man. Very few people get that. You know, yeah, the penicillin. Very few people get the modern classic. Yeah, level. and 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 generally speaking, it's always those ones that's that that's four ingredients or less, but more often than not, just three. No one's out there creating the next riff on a Vucare, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not been done, you <laughs> right. know, that's a, that's a singular cocktail. Um, yeah. But this is a drink, the Cuba Libre. I got two ways where I want to go here. I, I want to talk about how, what you would make for someone who's a skeptic here. But I think maybe we should have a conversation about rum first. Oh, yeah. yeah. Talk to me about, because you, you hinted earlier, you said, if you're not using aged, you're maybe missing out on an opportunity. Yeah. So, you know, there's many, there's, in my, in my eyes, there's like three drinks per concept. So like for a Cuba Libre, there's like the way I make it at home for myself when I'm nerding out, being geeky, being mm-hmm. like as fucking psychotic about it. 
Because for me, I'm trying to get back to the, the way it tasted when my mom put that glass to my lips when I was seven. That's, that changed. I was like, oh, shit. And I, I kept hitting the table like, yo, ma, can I get a little more? <laughs> it would shut me the fuck up because me and my brother were little demons. She'd be like, toma, maricón, toma, cabrón. Bebete eso, ya, déjame quieta, coño. Like, she was just fed up. She'd be like, here, you motherfucker, drink this shit. And I, you know, I kept hitting the table often. So there's like that. There's that drink, the one I'm making at home for myself when I'm like just getting sexy. I got fucking, I got fucking Mark Anthony playing and I'm taking my time. I got the silk robe, Versace silk robe. I'm making it nice with the highball. And then there's like the one I would make for you at a bar, Streamline, you know what I mean? And then there's the one that you have in the context of a good fucking time. Mm -hmm. Plastic cup, bodega ice, don't shit on it. Non-Mexican Coke, whatever Coke you get, warm, cold, gives a fuck, and a jug of rum that you could afford. Limes, maybe if you got them. <laughs> if the bodega did not run out. <laughs> maybe you got to get some lemons and be a bozo. It's okay on the block. So, so there's these three different concepts that, mm -hmm. I, that, I, that I think yeah. exist for every, almost every drink. You know? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'd argue you on that one. Okay. I don't think they do exist for almost every drink. I think... I think that's part of what makes this cocktail very special. Yeah, that's a good point. Because what's the blog version of a martini? <laughs> Warm gin. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, well, or maybe just the gin on the rocks. That's not a martini. Exactly. There's a glassware component that makes it such. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, and so that people don't think I'm just obsessed, but, you know, the version of an old-fashioned. I'm not saying you have to do a lot to make it a, a, a really good drink, but I don't think there is that one where it's like you can you can MacGyver it. Yeah, yeah, dimension. And it still be true to what the cocktail is actually supposed to be. I think that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a great point, Tim. And I think you're absolutely right with that. There is that dimension that is afforded to quote-unquote peasant-style drinks that doesn't carry over with drinks that are made at cocktail bars. Where mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So we got the block version. Hey. Now talk to me about the, the elo. The, I don't want to use that word anymore, but the use the, fuck the dialed in version that you're geeking out on yourself. Oh man, okay, the cribbo. So I, let's start with the rum here again as well. So you know, yeah, maybe yeah. okay, yeah. Usually, well, so I gotta use a Spanish colonial rum. I hate saying Spanish colonial, but rum from islands that were colonized by the Spanish. You know, they usually column still. They usually add a little bit of sugar. Vanilla, caramel coloring, and all these things a, add a little bit of something to the drink. You know, a little bit of that sweetness from the Spanish rum, a little bit of that vanilla that they add. Mm -hmm. It sort of plays with the aromatics. And I hate, I hate talking about aromatics, about Coca-Cola, like it's fucking burgundy. But it, no, play, it, it but plays with the flavors. Yeah. So I would use a Spanish rum, like one and a half ounces of a Spanish rum. Um, should I even name a brand? Yeah, name a brand. Yeah, let me think about who I like. Um, I like Santa Teresa. Mm -hmm. I think for a Cuba Libre in particular, Santa Teresa rocks. I also love Barolito, although Barolito can be a little bit too spicy. So you yeah. gotta, be, gotta be able to tame that. Uh, it can also get a little pricey as well when you go up to the four or five stars there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice though. So that two star, is, it's it's lighter than the three, it's yeah. less spicy. I think I one and a half. Mm -hmm. I like to do half ounce of 151. Mm. Yeah, baby. Okay. Half ounce. Like, you could do Gosling's, because Gosling's has beautiful color, molasses flavor, but it's fairly neutral. Yeah. 
Um, you can also do lemon heart, whatever, half an ounce. And this just gives the drink length. You know, it's a long drink. And my biggest pet peeve with Cuba Libre is, is you put it in a you know, 12 ounce, 16 ounce highball, and you use an 80 proof rum, you use lime juice. And then you add Coca-Cola and a bunch of shitty ice. And by the time you get midway, it tastes like water. Yeah. It's like black. Yeah. Whack. The balance in there as well. If you're trying to up the rum that you're doing, if it's at 80 proof, yeah, nah. Yeah. And then, you know, if you're using a white rum, sure, that's great. But all you taste is Coca-Cola and maybe lime. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you have some of this vanilla, some of these other flavors, and you add the 151, 151 sort of acts as a lengthener, not only in the proof, but... As you know, what Brian Miller talks about is teaspoons at the 151. <laughs> Motherfucker be hitting that shit with the balco, with the juice. It'd be fucking a steroid every cocktail. Um, he uses 151 like a lot of bartenders these days like to use saline solutions. Yeah. Hey, I'm sure he puts in his maple syrup like that, man. He puts in his morning coffee. <laughs> yeah, just a teaspoon. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, he likes to call it vitamin R, and it's yeah. one of his essential vitamins that he has every morning. Yeah. <laughs> So that's, you know, that's one of B. Miller's tricks. Shout out to Brian Miller, man. He's a good friend and uh, an amazing, amazing person. Down on, the, down on an island now, we can exclusively uh, announce here on Cocktail College. He's down in St. Lucia. Yeah. Follow him on Instagram because he's got a little project going on down there. So Yeah, I got to go visit him. We spoke before he flew out, um, so I got to come see him. And you know how it is with Brian. You pull up, it don't matter when or what time, consummate host. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The fact that he's on an island shows uh, he's in his natural habitat. He's he in is. a good place. Yeah, he is. <laughs> when he's in the city, motherfucker looks like a, a polar bear in, 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 in Hawaii. Motherfucker's like, well, doesn't know. But um, so, so yeah, a little bit of lengthener um, so that the drink can last a little bit longer. And I like to add like a teaspoon of turbinado simple syrup. A nice rich simple. Mm-hmm. And a full, full juice of a full lime. So once again, giving it a little more length, you know, if I'm going to use the juice of a full lime mm-hmm. and now I've upped the proof, I'm going to need a little bit of fat as well because now you have this acidity, you have the astringency of the alcohol with, the, with this shot up. Um, so I add a little bit of that uh, sugar, just a little bit of simple syrup, turbinado, just to bring out some of the molasses flavors of the Coca-Cola. So turbinado is what? It's a, it's a less refined form of, of, of raw-ish sugar? We. Or it's processed or? We, we. Yeah, it still has a lot of its um, B12, a lot of its flavor, multi-flavors. And those multi-flavors, believe it or not, even if it's a teaspoon or a quarter ounce, like it does lengthen and amplify some of the flavors of the Coca-Cola. For me, the Cuba Libre, you're trying to enhance the flavor of Coke. I'm not trying to enhance the flavor of rum. I'm not trying to hide the flavor of rum. I'm trying to make a balanced... uh Basically, a little smorgasbord in a glass that you sip it and you're like, man, this Coca-Cola is great. And it's getting me fucked up. Because Coca-Cola is such a delicious thing. From my, my approach was like, why not use these elements to sort of pay homage to its flavor profile? That's such an amazing point and something I hadn't considered before listening to you say that. The turbinado, the rum, especially an aged rum, yeah, and the Coca-Cola... You said, well, you don't want to talk about tasting notes when it comes to something like Coke, but, you know, what are you going to get in all of them? You're going to get this kind of licorice, molasses character. Maybe it's toned down in the Coke, but for sure it's there somewhere. Caramel. The classic baking spices, cinnamon, all Mm. that kind of stuff. I mean, they have their own balance. Vanilla, obviously. These ingredients are all like siblings in different ways. Their flavor profiles are siblings, so... I never considered, actually, that's probably why this drink works so well. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. And this is why if you're using high ester rums or something grassy like agricole rum, even when it's aged, agricole rum can still be very grassy. You're sort of taking very green notes and you're trying to blend it with something very, very baking spice forward, dark, you know. Yeah. It's different. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work. And yeah. this reminds me of one of your questions earlier, actually. You were talking about early drinking experiences. One of the ones that put me off gin for a long time, don't know whether I've ever brought this up before, was at a party, friends, parents aren't there, you know, people are just drinking whatever's there. We got through the Navy rum, that was disgusting. The only mixer we have is Coke. We're on the gin and Cokes, and it was disgusting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's like the national drink of Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> you drinking gin and Cokes, you fucking up, bro. You living wrong. Put what? me off gin for ages, and you know what it was that I didn't appreciate the time, which is the, the juniper and the savory and the green notes of gin, the botanicals, that they just don't go with the sweet baking spices and of Coke. Yeah, and, and, and maybe they... Would in a different context, but nah. For me, it's like, can you still taste the Coca-Cola? So by adding a little bit of, you know, turbinado, simple, teaspoon, quarter ounce, whatever it is, you're amplifying that sweetness and lengthening some flavors with the rums as well. You're lengthening the drink, you know. Even if you don't have good ice or quote-unquote good ice, whatever, clear or fucking Japanese crystal ice, your drink lasts. And mm-hmm. even and midway, that shit's still kicking, you know what I mean? So, and then you got to do juice of the whole lime and the lime. And the shell, yeah. Yeah, just half. Like, I, yeah. I, I squeeze the juice in, and then I take that spent lime, and I put that baby in the glass. Because them oils just gives it some brightness. Complexity. Next yeah. level. Levels. Yeah, you're talking, you know, molasses, deep, rich baking spices. Now, what do you need for contrast? A little bit of brightness. You, have, you should have some of that. It's what makes, a, it's what makes a Manhattan with a Manhattan with a lemon peel garnish yep. so bright. Yeah. It makes you want more of it. Otherwise, it's just cloying and one note. If it's all baking spice. It's, it's flabby. Like, I know you got a wine background yeah, as well. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. what they say in the wine business there. Blah, blah, <laughs> flabby. Gordito. Yeah, yeah. Gordi, gordito. Like el gordito. <laughs> no, pues sí. So, you know, that's my, when I'm at home. Yeah. And I'm taking my time. And yeah, I might get, get I might get wet with a little drop of Angostura. Yeah. I might wet yeah. it up. No problem. Maybe Dale DeGroff's bitters as well, if you want something like that. His his are kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I fuck, I don't with, know. I'm I just... fuck with Dale. Dale DeGroff. <laughs> Dale DeGroff. Yeah. Dale, Dale DeGroff all day. You know, hearing you talk about the turbinado sugar there, just before we move on, it reminds me of this concept that has really struck me in, in recent conversations, but also throughout doing this podcast, which is like, when it comes to simple syrups or your sweetening agents, like... Why not use it as an opportunity to introduce a flavor that can help as well, right? Like one-to-one simple syrup with just normal granulated sugar. Not only is that stuff overly processed and terrible for you, it has no flavor. It's just sweetness. Correct. It's like using basically only using citric acid in your drink versus lemon juice. Correct. Or, or lime juice, right? Correct. So you can introduce a flavor at the same time as doing what you want to do, which is sweeten it. I don't know. I never considered that before, and and that's really taken like things when I think about cocktails to to a different level for me. So the turbinado, I like it. I yeah, like it. Hell yeah, hell yeah. It's a you know we're talking about complete foods. You know, when you just take citric acid and throw it in the mix, you're missing so many of the other elements that make your body process the juice and register the juice as something nutritious. Same with sugar. 
your body processes granulated sugar differently than unrefined sugar. Unrefined sugar still has all of its nutrients, therefore mm-hmm. your body processes it differently. Not to get too nerdy, but these things matter. Yeah. They do matter, you know, so. And, uh, you know, there's, a, you know, time and a place for a simple as well, like standard one-to-one or whatever, but generally speaking, if you can avoid it or if you can improve upon it, that's the take I'm getting from this show, which is just like, do that instead. Yeah. And not, and not from a place of ego. You know, I'm not like going to improve upon it by making my own Coca-Cola. Bozo. Pick your battles. <laughs> yeah, pick them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's not a hill I want to die on, you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought you were going to come in today with a little bottle of Kelvin's handmade Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's real cocaine in it. <laughs> Like back in the days. Well, you know, like that's what that's what uh, bartenders do, right? You're like, uh, do you know actually back in the day, this is how they used to do it. Yeah, I mean, once it gets decriminalized, you know, maybe I'll come out my own cocaine soda, cocaine cola. Not right now, though. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm trying to live long and stay out of prison, <laughs> you know? So what's the next version of the drink that you might want to explore? I mean, I think the next one is like the one you would make for somebody at a bar, like... So if you were running a bar program right now and you want to be like, you put this on the menu, right? Yeah. Which which is putting a flag in the ground and saying, I care about this drink. I can make this drink in a way that might make you rethink it if you didn't like it or if you didn't respect it enough before. Yeah. But also, I'm being mindful that this is a bar operation, so I got to think about costs. I got to think about bottle pickups. Yeah. Let's hear about that one. Yeah, look, you take Don Q White. Because that shit's a value. I mean, I say cheap because, um, you know, I don't want to disparage any brand who's affording the community something for them to enjoy at a good cost. So it's a good value. I'll take Don Q and I'll take Lemon Heart. I will blend those two babies. So you got an age rum. You got an 80 proof and a 151. At an average, you're talking about it's going to be like a 90-ish proof spirit, mm-hmm. which is great for long drinks. Yeah. Um, and you get some of those molasses flavors, and you get a little bit of that gusto. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That length. I would find the biggest highball you can find. If you got a 20-ounce pint glass, whatever, 24-ounce, 32-ounce, 18-ounce, big-ass pint glass, two full ounces of your mix, full lime, hand-squeezed always, um, and top that baby with Coke. Could be In my crib, I use Mexican Coke. Some people were like, it's not that different. It's not... It is. You're a bozo. It is. It is. There's something about carbonation in glass. There's something about the sugar and not the corn syrup, especially, once again, with how your body processes natural sugar versus corn syrup and glycemic spikes. Not to get into any of that bullshit. You know, I also do a lot of training. I've been an athlete my whole life. So balancing that with drinking, uh, I have not done a great job. (laughs) But I know some shit. Yeah. I hit you with some bro science. You know what not to do, and you still do it, but yeah, you know you shouldn't be doing it. This is all bro science. You could take it or leave it. But um, yeah, you know, I would top it with a nice, you know, you could it could be canned Coca-Cola, it could be whatever, you know, and put it in a pint glass. How do you feel about fountain? A fountain for a Cuba Libre? Fountain cola. I love it. You know, like you get out the gun or at the, or at the cinema. I love it. I love fountain. Me too. The syrup, so good. Oh, yeah. It's it's interesting because like the carbonation isn't there, not quite, yeah. But the flavor is there. It's so concentrated. Yeah, it's yeah. so thick. I know. That's why they give you so much ice at McDonald's. Yeah, I mean, but uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, because like the sh- the sugar and the syrup is nuts. Um, but the carbonation isn't quite there. And for me, like a long drink should have carbonation to the last drop. 
Some people are fans of pouring the, you know, the carbonated element on a knife or on a spoon. You don't need to go two feet in the air. Just make it elegant. Make it nice. You know, you don't need to fucking drop it from the heavens. <laughs> Fuck out of here. Um, so, yeah, I, I would be gentle with, like, how you bring in the carbonation. To be honest, this is controversial. I'm going to drop some knowledge that you motherfuckers are going to be like, no wonder Maison fired him. No wonder he's been hired and fired from some of the best bars. In my bar, if it's a Cuba Libre, that rum batch is in the freezer. Ooh. Now this kind of people are like, how dare you? This is bars. This is bar shit. Yeah. I put it in the freezer because it's a Japanese technique. Essentially, you get the spirit colder than the ice. So when you drop the spirit in the glass and you drop the ice, the ice actually is cooking the spirit. And that brings out a lot of the flavors um, and esters in the spirit. Now... Are you going to notice that coming in being like, Papi, I'm un Cuba Libre. And I'm here like with the fucking cold rum and shit. Nah, <laughs> nah, you're not going to notice it. But I do. And that shit turns me on, man. So why'd, they, why'd that go against you doing that at the bar? Because most people in the U.S. freeze vodka, they freeze gin. And to freeze an age spirit, it's like against everything they've ever known. <sighs> nah, I'm not. I, I, I don't get that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you should try it. Put a, put some aged mm-hmm. rum in your freezer. Make a Cuba Libre. There's just something to it. Also, when the rum is that cold and you finally add the carbonation element, magic happens. Yeah. It retains its carbonation to the drop. It is even the last little inch of that shit that is not watered down because the 151 is hitting. You got a little terminal sugar if you want to get lit. That shit is still banging. And by the time you take that last sip, you're just yearning for a second round. <laughs> Refreshed. What about ice then? Because carbonation, if you want to really geek out, yeah. nucleation points, ice. Yeah. Given the option, would you go for the large clear spear or would you feel like that's maybe not in fitting with the soul of this drink? That's a great question, by the way, Tim. Great question. Ice, that, that's a magical element in cocktails. It's, you know, the invention of ice and the distribution of ice fucking changed whatever the fuck we do now. Here's, how I say, here's what I'll say to that. If you're doing 80 proof rum, shitty Coca-Cola, and you don't necessarily have a freezer, and you know that your shit's going to get watered down, use a spear. Yeah. So, so it doesn't change that much throughout its dilution. But if you're using all these elements like 151 and a little lengthener of turbinado sugar and a whole fresh lime, and you're, you're taking the time to freeze the rum so it's cold, you're going to want it to have a life going to want it to change much like ourselves we have a lifespan mm-hmm. you know we we're born we blossom and then we go off into our greener pastures and i think long drinks should have this life although some of the best cuba libras i've ever had were at attaboy and they drop a spear in that shit you think i give a fuck now nah, if it's good it's good i'm like mucha gracia papi <laughs> otra más coño que estoy en romo feo Estamos en romo feo. Yeah, and I go there and like, so I think it depends. I, for me, regular ice, a couple cold draft cubes, shitty ice. Some of my favorite ice is bodega ice. Yep. Pebble, it does. Sonic. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about, I don't know about Scotsman Pebble ice. That's some Pebble. shit that fucking Matt Bellinger did at Donna and he put his Cuba Libre in a hurricane glass. All right. There's a line. Someone just crossed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was one of my favorite Cuba Libre. <laughs> I, I, was, I would go there after Maison Premiere every time I was an opener, see Matt, and have Donna 
down as Cuba Libre. It was one of the first places that put a Cuba Libre on the menu, which is something else we need to talk about. Because yeah. For the longest time, I could not get a Cuba Libre at some of your finest cocktail bars. That's a great point. Let's talk about this because I, I, I was just going to ask, based upon that, I was going to say what are some other memorable ones you've had. But first, let's talk about just that as a concept. If a bar is putting it on a menu, is there an expectation that actually, uh-oh, maybe they are making their own Coke because <laughs> yes. they feel like they need to justify putting it on the menu? Yes. Nine times out of ten, when I see it on the menu, they've done something to it. And you know what? I don't want to fuck it. Nah. I have a beer, dog. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. I forget who was talking about this. Um, I think it was, I think it might have been Eric Castro about putting these drinks on a fucking menu that are classics. So, like, I think Orlando was talking about it with El Presidente. It's like, you know, if you're putting it on the menu, you're saying something about it. But with drinks like Cuba Libre, you should just have Coke, rum, and a couple limes. And if I want one, I should be able to have one. But for the longest time, it was almost like the mojito. Bartenders were like, we don't have mint here. On purpose. Bro. Not to make them. Yeah. Yeah, instead of being like, we don't make that here, and being honest with their own wretchedness, these motherfuckers were like, sorry, mint's not in season. Yo, you crazy, bro. <laughs> Yo. And, you know, that's just another way of um, ostracizing and uh, not including a certain type of person in your bar. It's why some bars don't carry Hennessy. It's why some clubs were like, don't if you're wearing a big white T-shirt or a fitted cap, you can't, you know, don't come in. We don't play hip-hop here. Now, you you know, hip-hop is ubiquitous in all these white spaces and all these bars. But for a long time in New York City, because I'm from New York, you know, born in DR, raised in New York, um, you couldn't play hip-hop. You know, it was like top 40. And we did this with drinks, too. You know, it was the mojito. It was the Long Island iced tea. For the longest time before, yeah. before like, white bartenders made it kitschy to do it. Ooh, I have a Long Island, you know, these like trash drinks. I'm bringing back the purple nerpa with my oleo sacrum, whatever, bro. <laughs> you know, like before they made it acceptable again for the longest or time. Vodka was another one. Yeah. That, you know, the whole craft community to a certain extent was was really guilty of that too in the early days yeah. saying we don't have vodka here. To ch I get why they were doing it as well, like trying to get people of, you know, old backgrounds to, to try mixed drinks that maybe they hadn't discovered before, but at the same time, being a place which is supposed to be in the hospitality industry. Yeah, yeah. And not carrying the most drunk spirit in the country. Yeah. And, yo, to keep it real, like, when I ran bars, and, you and you know, my, my, my boys, you know, shout out to Mark Witzig, shout out to Omar Stevens, shout out to Sergio Castellon. When we worked bars and somebody wanted a vodka drink, I'd make them a last word with vodka. I'd make them a corpse survivor number two with vodka because it would turn them on to other ingredients. Mm -hmm. Vodka is like this clear lens where, oh shit, what's this? Oh, it's chartreuse. It's like this like beautiful thing you could encapsulate other beautiful things in that's familiar to people. So I was making vodka drinks when motherfuckers were like, nah. I was making Long Islands when motherfuckers were like, nah. And um, you're absolutely right, man. Like the Now it's like, Everybody's having a great old time because the work got done. Yeah. When the work was getting done, motherfuckers like, it wasn't in the Harry Craddock manual. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about Harry Craddock. Like, I understand, like, the work he did, but, like, he is not, he didn't create co these cocktails in a vacuum. It was histories and histories of people that allowed these things to come to fruition. And, like, we idolize and become too dogmatic about shit. 
you're like missing the point, which is to be hospitable, give people a good time and give them an escape. And if I want to ride a vodka sled away from my problems, I'm going to do it. Keep them coming. Yeah, bro. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, Otra más. So for the longest time, I couldn't get a Cuba Libre. Mm-hmm. And these are top bars. You know, I won't name names because these are my friends yep. who I love. And I go to their establishments for a couple years ago. You know, bars would be like, we don't carry Coke. You know, you know the craziest thing, and I'm looking at this from a media perspective now, and and kind of like a media more in the role, the managing editor role I do at Vine Pair versus the host of this podcast. I think that if you were to have a bar in New York City right now, you know, something that's tending to be more the kind of twenty dollar cocktail space versus maybe a little bit faster, a little bit more casual. If you put on a Cuba Libre, and it was that recipe you said before. Or even if it was just rum, maybe a slight blend, lime, Coke, decent glass, decent ice, nothing else. And people were to come in and be like, so what's different about this? What makes it good? And you're just like, this is a Cuba Libre. This is exactly what you've had before, but this is going to be the best one you've ever had. I think from a media point of view, you'd have so many people writing about this. There was just like, because what you're doing is you're doing the thing that everyone does badly you're not adding anything. You're not changing anything. You got to be able to execute it. By the way, you got to you got to live up to your word here. But if you Thanks. did that, you'd be the Cuba Libre place, and people would be like, "Oh my god, it's amazing." We don't know what they do. You just got to go there to have it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like good sushi. It's just like it's the fish and yeah. the preparation, but nothing yeah. else, nothing proprietary. Yeah, I think there's there's something about the person giving it to you too. That's part of the cocktail. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the fish, of course, nothing proprietary, but the master sushi person who's doing it and taking their time to give it to you, give it to you with love. Because it's a difference when I'm making you a Negroni and I hate Negronis. You're going to get a fucking Negroni, one, 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 or one and a half, three quarter, three quarter in your glass with a fucking cool twist. And I don't give a fuck. I will not lose sleep. But if you come to my bar and you're like, I want a Cuba Libre or a Mojito or some fly shit. I light up because I think about my mother. I think about my friends that passed away. I think about my block. I think about the history of DR. I think about those late nights on the island with my friends, you know, getting into dumb shit, finishing off with like a jug of rum and some coke, you know, just chilling in the car, listening to music, banging Gucci Mane and fucking Daddy Yankee and Tego Calderon. And this is the thing about these drinks that are not necessarily created in cocktail bars, these elevated, sophisticated drinks. Because they happen outside of the cocktail bar, they're tied to so many real-life memories. Not to say that having a Negroni at a bar and having an experience at a bar is different or better. I'm saying that the experiences you'll have with a Negroni, because they live in a cocktail bar, be vastly different than the ones you'll have with, you know, a daiquiri or a Cuba Libre, you know what I mean, or these drinks that exist outside, you know. Yeah, no, that point of also just the way someone makes the drink, I think that's, again, and, and look... The object of owning and running a bar is not to get press or not to get people to write about you. But if you do own and run a bar, that helps, right? Gets people in the door, yep. takes care of your bills, that kind of thing. And that's a massive part of it too, just the preparation, like not being a person that's like, oh yeah, I can make a rum and coke, but you know, whatever. Yeah. And you see the person making it and they don't care. If you see someone, the attention to detail that you're talking about yeah. here with the same ingredients they can do back home, 
and this is going off in a tangent, we'll bring it back soon. But I think the <laughs> yeah, restaurants yeah, yeah. that I'm most impressed with yeah. or most impressed by, especially when I was a chef, were the places that use no fancy techniques, no technology, and ingredients I could buy at my supermarket. And I would sit down and eat and be like, there's no way I can ever replicate that. Yeah. That's magic for me. Yeah. That's sick. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, if you want to, for me, it was like, if you're going to make a Cuba Libre and you really love it or any, any drink, the person making it, as you're watching them make it, they should make you thirsty. Yeah. And one of the legends in New York City who makes a Cuba Libre, not only because they study with me, but because <laughs> they're such a attentive and aware person is Sergio Castellón. He's at Crown Shy right now. Um, he's bartended all over. I worked with him at Maison Premier when I was there behind the bar. And when he makes a Cuba Libre, mm-hmm. and me and him have, have had many Cuba Libres every night, it is masterful it makes your mouth water you can tell he's coming from a place he's from bolivia but you can tell he's coming from a place where he loves this drink and it's tied to so many amazing memories Mm -hmm. and when you watch it's rare because there's very few bartenders that get to make the drinks that they love or drinks that are tied to you know some sort of infancy before they became these bartenders you watch this shit. We should go get one. I was gonna say we I've got an go. idea for you. By the way, Crown Shy, I've definitely eaten that. But I, do they have a bar there that you can just sit at, or do you have to eat? No, we go. No, yeah. We go have a snack, chill out. Here's something we could we should do. And and you don't have social media, do you? Or you mm. don't control it? Never had social media. All right, so I'll just have to pass this on. How about we do this? We say to the fine listeners here that live in New York City. Yeah. Go down there, visit Sergio. Yeah. Whenever you hear this episode and ask for him and ask for his Cuba Libre. I'm assuming it's not on the menu. Nope. And just go there for that. And by the third or fourth person, I think he's going to ask, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. We don't tell him. Yeah, no, don't tell him. <laughs> but don't please tell. take a photo, put it on Instagram, tag us. I'll share it with Kelvin. And for sure. He'll, he'll appreciate that, like you said. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. And he'll be like... Something's in the air. Something's going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, uh, not this past year, but the year before in Charleston, I did a Cuba Libre punch bowl. I just, yeah, I was doing the Island Times event. Everybody's over here with pea flour this and yeah. this oleo sacrum. That, no, no stab to them. Amazing. Do it. And I was like, fuck this. I got three bowls. I dumped Brugal, 151 goslings, mad Coca-Cola, and I squeezed limes into that shit and ladled it into people's glasses. I had a line you would not believe. All the all the punch got finished. Everybody was like, this is the best punch ever. What is it? I was like, Papi, it's a Cuba Libre, baby. <laughs> I said, it's a Roman Coca. Like, people just loved it, the familiarity of it. So yeah. I've done you know, Cuba Libre juleps. I've done doble Cuba Libre, which I sent you a picture of. You got to post it on Instagram. Do mm-hmm. something. But after this, you got to post it as the... I'll post it. The, el Papa Doble, baby. <laughs> is that the Hemingway? No. It's the Hemingway. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I call yeah, my yeah, Cuba yeah. Libre Papa, Papa Doble. Papa, Papa Doble. Nice, sí. nice. All right, then. Yeah. We're going to do that. Well, there's going to be a lot of action go- coming up on Instagram these next couple of days, I feel. Um, folks, check it out. Or also just, yeah, maybe it's a test. Maybe you go out there to your uh, your, your local craft spot. Yeah. Maybe you say you've been listening to this show and you want to... You want to see an elevated? Actually, we're not using that word. Fuck, we're using that elevator's word. Elevator's cool, works. baby. Elevator's cool. You know, you know what I mean. I it, fuck it, with it. it. You know, the point gets across, but you want to get that version of the drink and, um, yeah, let us know how it goes. That's a fun one. For you, though, Kelvin, any final thoughts on this drink, this topic? I know we could go off on some wild tangents. We're not going to do that today. We'll save that maybe for a future episode. Yeah. But on the Cuba Libre specifically, 
específicamente. Específicamente. Um, you know, I just gotta say, you do not know when somebody is sitting across from you, wherever they're from, whatever intersection they exist in, what a drink means to them. Not just why they're at your bar, what they're escaping from. When they order a specific drink, you do not know what that means to them. You don't know the respite it provides. You don't know what it's tied to, whom in their history introduced them to it, the time spent. So make it with love. You know, when you make a drink, especially something like a Cuba Libre or a daiquiri or a piña colada or a Santa Libre with a Sprite, papi, <laughs> coming to a bar near you, papi. Um, make it with love. When you make it, think about the person you love the most in your life and put that into the drink. It'll translate more than you making your own Coca-Cola syrup, you bozo. <laughs> <laughs> Mad respect and love, though. I'm just, I'm talking shit. I like but, that. I yeah. like that. The only thing I'm going to counter with next time I see you behind a bar, I'm going to expect the same when I order a Negroni from you. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking fair, bro. I would say one drink, Sandy. I'll do my best. Very nice, very nice. Bueno, quitamos. The ultimate five questions of the show, the recurring ones. I'm going to number one. Start with number one. What style? or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? This could have been back in your days behind the bar or just now in casa. Damn. Well, everybody knows I read Fortaleza. Mm-hmm. You're in New York City, so um, tequila takes very small real estate because I usually have Fortaleza and a few friends. Mm-hmm. In my crib or at my back bar, it was always rum. Always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What one rum can't do? 28 can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just there's so much. Somewhere, somewhere, Brian Miller just heard his name called. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, shout out to B, man. That's my boy. Always good dude. Question number two. What ingredient or tool do you think is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? That's a good question. Arsenal or tool that's undervalued? I think um, their own sense, mm-hmm. their own sense, their intuition. I think a lot of bartenders rely on their fucking array of cocktail kingdom. Shout out to cocktail kingdom, you know, supplying the industry with amazing tools. But when you live in your box and you live in your tool and you live in your well, you forget that you have a whole wealth of sense and feeling. So I think intuition, a lot of bartenders are, you know, um, atrophying that in a way. Yeah, intuition. Nice. I think... If I can tag on to that, I think we, um, you know, the, the intuition, I think that comes into our thinking, right? It comes into this, we are in a, we are in a specific moment right now where it can be difficult to, to have your own opinion that you've formed. I know that's something you suffer from having a lack of opinions of your own. <laughs> <laughs> the opinions expressed on this pod are not the ones of Vine Fair, all solely Sucio Sam, Kelvin Ufer. <laughs> but. No, what I mean is, you know, like, don't be afraid to challenge things, I guess. Or don't be, don't be afraid to be like, actually, I don't, I don't agree with this way that it's done just because I read it in Craddock's or the Savoy or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of what I dig about Morgenthaler. Morgenthaler and a lot of these yeah. dudes pioneered shit. Do I agree with all of it? Nah, it's some white PNW shit that does not speak to me. But there's a lot of shit that I, little tips and tricks that I learned that I absolutely adapted. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff to be gained. Um, 
But I just think it's different when like um, there's this herd mentality often and every bartender jumps on this one thing. People are scared. They're scared to be cast out. You know, they're scared to be ridiculed. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You're scared to be the guy that's not using saline. Or <laughs> Justin. Yeah, exactly, bro. <laughs> exactly. You know. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Most important piece of advice? Um, this industry is not your family. You know what I mean? And I'm going to, and I, I got to put this into context because um, a lot of bartenders, a lot of people in the hospitality industry create family in the industry. It's a beautiful thing. You know, just as much as we tear each other down and abuse each other and um, find ways to um, constantly exploit the hospitality community, we find community amongst ourselves and we take care of each other. That's the beauty of it. Um, but it is not your family, you know. And oftentimes we think because we build connections while fucked up or drunk that these are long-lasting real connections. And I think it's quite the opposite. And it's cool to see bartenders and hospitality professionals taking an approach of sobriety to form real long-lasting familial connections. So, you know, don't neglect your fam. Don't neglect the people in your life outside of the industry. Constantly connect with those. Don't just jump and dive in and believe your own hype. It's not your family. Like any industry, it will eat you alive, chew you out, and forget you when the next hot boy comes up with the next saline solution. <laughs> so Next homemade cola. Yeah. I never forgot where I came from or any of my friends or my peers. I'm still on the block. I still mm. play dominoes. I still drink Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of my last, actually, it was my last day working as a chef in London. It was for my, um, it was for the, first chef that I ever worked for and I was under him I went from apprentice to whatever you know worked with him for years and that's the only kind of the first job I knew and on my last day kind of them enough to uh to throw me a big you know leaving party everyone chipped in a ton of money and it was an amazing event we had a big you know hog roast whatever wow and at the end of the day someone who was kind of close to me at the time said like why are you upset and I was like, you know, these are, you know, these are my friends. I don't know when I'm going to see them again. You know, I, I love these guys. I spend 15 hours a day with them. You know, we understand each other. This person turned around to me and said like, ah, none of these people are in, in two years time. You're not even going to have the phone number of most of these people. You won't be texting any of these people within three, four years time. That was gut wrenching. Wow. You know. I mean, I've moved around the world, but it's true. It's borne out to be true. I keep in touch with two people yeah. out of the however many hundred you worked with in kitchens and hospitality. So, yeah, I don't know. It's rough, but like to your point, the workplace relationships and friendships might not always be real. Yeah. Call your mama. Call your papa. You know, there was a point in time I was working like 60 hours, 70 hours, and then my dad passed away suddenly. And... Like, the world was ripped out from under me, bro. And, like, I looked at all the dolling of the specs, the quarter ounce, the teaspoon, the bullshit. For for what? You know what I mean? There's very few people I built those brotherly, sisterly, familiar relationships with. There's very few. I can count them in my hands and feet. Um, but those people would, I, are, are real, real, real family to me. And we don't necessarily do the cocktail shit. We'll hang out and do real shit. You know, go to shows, have real conversations. So, Yeah. 
also, I guess, just final point on that one. Not that I'm the fountain of knowledge here, but yeah, put it. it's good to have interests outside your work. It's important to, it's not just good, it's important to, I think, for us as people and to be a well-rounded yeah. individual. Outside of this, what what, are, what is like a hobby that no one would think Tim is about? Like, I don't know. I, I, I watch a lot of movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which sometimes comes up on this. Um not that that's like that uncommon, but it's uh, it's I don't know, it's something I spend a lot of time doing. You love about. film, yeah, I like it. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not Roger Ebert or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm just the guy. I'm just yeah, yeah. like, yeah, I like this director. I like that. I don't know. I wish I had cool. a better answer for that one. Maybe I need some more hobbies. What about you? Uh, boxing, the gym. I boxed since I was a kid. I still train. I don't spar or anything. I'm not trying to get punched in the face no more. <laughs> um, the gym and like riding my bike you know I got a single speed nice. I hit the city shirtless sexy dripping sweat with the abs showing blasting reggaeton you know what I mean yeah. that's my favorite riding yeah. the city greased up <laughs> hell yeah alright well final one actually <laughs> I do like cooking and it's great now that cooking is not my job because now it's something that I do on a Sunday afternoon to unwind Really? Prep for the week. Yeah. Relax. Yeah, Go into a different zone. So did it take you getting space from that in order to get here? Like, do you think that space allowed you to love it differently? I think getting out of the industry gave me the time to actually be able to cook at home, which you never yeah. had beforehand. But um, no, I think it's just also that appreciation of skills that you've picked up and it's like, you don't have someone shouting at you, telling you to go faster or telling you that, that this pasta ravioli that you made isn't perfect. It's just... You're doing it. And generally speaking, you're probably cooking for someone you'd love. So Yeah. Ooh, there you go. There we go. All right. Before we get too soppy here, question number four. <laughs> Give me a cheeky answer. <laughs> yeah. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, Ooh. what would it be? I man, this is tough. So, but I gotta keep it a buck, bro. Um last bar I could visit in my life, it would be La Capilla. La Capilla is what I think the best bar in the world is. It's in tequila. They make a drink called La Batanga. I don't know if you heard about La Batanga. No. It's essentially a Cuba Libre with mixto. Okay. So it's 49% Cuba Libre, 51% some agave in there. <laughs> um, lime and Coca-Cola with a rim of salt in a pint glass. And my brother, I'm telling you, every time I go down to the Fortaleza Industry Tours, we go to that bar. It's just a little cantina. Mm -hmm. They're pouring the Coca-Cola on the knife. They're mm -hmm. doing it right. It's in a pint. It's just the fucking best. Bury me there, bro. Take my ashes, blend them with salt, rim a batanga, and have my boys come and drink my ashes in a batanga, bro. That's some Keith Richards stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, la batanga is the name of the drink? Yeah, la batanga is the drink. In the bar, just once again. La Capilla. La Capilla. Ever in tequila, visit the guys at La Capilla. They are professionals, best bartenders in the world, best bar in the world. Yo, no, no stab at anybody else, but mm -hmm. yeah, I can't do what they do. Nice. They're different animals. Different, different. They just built different. Phenomenal. Yeah. All right. Last question for you here today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, which version of your Cuba Libre would you make? No. What would you order or make? I'd be a Negroni. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that oh, that's it that's a cut that's we're it. done why not I'm gonna need to head out cheers Kelvin I'm heading out to uh, Calustians sorry to just pick up some cola nuts <laughs> <laughs>
seriously, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, I love you, bro. Love y'all. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Okay, I know what you're thinking, folks. That was a lot of info. But here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is published on vinepair.com as a transcript. So you can check it out there all over again. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen, folks. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.